Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A very warm welcome to everybody and the peace and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on everybody that's present here today at the masjid, brothers and sisters. Similarly, those who are joining us from London, from those affiliated and registered with Al Misbah Academy, and everybody else that's joining us, honorable ulama, respected elders, brothers, sisters, young friends. From wherever you are, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Inshallah, we'll be starting very soon. Uh, we just want to make sure that everything is working fine. The sound is coming clear. Everybody can see the screen. And we don't have any issues. It's taken us um, a few days to ensure that everything runs smooth. Today, we ask for your du'as, that everything runs smoothly. When it's a normal lecture, it's quite straightforward. It's quite easy. Um, we've got the system set up but what we're trying to do today is something quite different the unique thing about today is what you will see is uh, in uh, you'll see al-aqsa with 97% accuracy uh, in terms of how you would see it when you're there of course it's not 100% because it's not real it's a 3d version of a virtual tour but inshallah it's quite near those who've been you will feel like you are in al-aqsa and those who have not been, inshallah, you will get a good view. So those who are sitting in the masjid, um, you won't be facing me today. Um, you'll be facing towards the screen, inshallah, throughout. Jazakumullah khaira. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-ladhin astafa amma ba'd. Fa'audhu billahi bin ash-shaytan ar-rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسائد الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد الحمد لله um, we are fortunate that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has united us on a very blessed cause and that is the cause of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Throughout the previous weeks, mashallah, throughout the world, globally, there has been uh, a shift, a change, a large um, awareness on a large scale and many masajid, many organizations and many institutes, individuals, groups are talking about Masjid Al-Aqsa in Palestine and the Palestinians. There's a lot of discussion taking place, uh, a lot of activities for children. And Alhamdulillah, this is something we've wanted to see for a very long time. Uh, that just like we honor the Kaaba and we love Masjid Al-Nabawi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, may Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala protect them, keep them safeguarded, increase them in sanctity, and grant us an ability to visit the Haramain and Sharifain time and time again and keep us connected to them both. Similarly, we, there was always a need for the Ummah to become reconnected to Masjid Al-Aqsa. And Alhamdulillah, we're seeing this kind of a drive towards Al-Aqsa and Palestine. Many talks have taken place in the previous days in terms of its virtues, significance, and the current affairs, the political background, and in terms of the oppression and what's going on in, in those aspects. Today is going to be something very different, and that is that we will be, inshallah, taking a virtual tour of Masjid Al-Aqsa. 
So we'll be entering into Masjid Al-Aqsa, seeing what Masjid Al-Aqsa looks like and learning about some of the structures, the buildings, the monuments inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. So it's quite different to what we've been discussing up until now. And um, at this moment and time, due to COVID restrictions, obviously people can't travel. And although the Jerusalem is on the green list, at the moment, from now till July, it's only uh, certain groups uh, which are recognized and uh, registered, the mainly Christian groups that are allowed. There's a certain limited number of Christian groups that can only travel, they're trialing this out. And for general people to travel, they'll be opening it from July onwards, inshallah. This is the latest update in regards to travel, if anybody was considering or thinking. So currently, before July, you can't travel there. Um, so inshallah, we'll go there virtually today. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our virtual ziyarah and give us the ability to learn some things on the way as well. So without any delay, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, let's go straight into it. So before we actually enter into Masjid Al-Aqsa, I'm going to highlight a few points, uh, dispel a few myths. I might upset a few people as well because there's certain beliefs that certain people have had and they believe in them so strongly. And I might say a few things that might be, uh, you know, totally opposite to what you've been hearing uh, up until now. And um, it's important that when we learn about anything, it should be based on authentic, reliable sources, not just what we hear online or on social media. And the same goes with Masjid Al-Aqsa as well. It's important that we go and learn from those who've researched and know rather than just hearing what people are saying on social media and sending out videos that this is Aqsa and this is not Aqsa and this isn't Aqsa and this is Aqsa. And it's very confusing. And the people who talk about it sound very confused uh, because when you do try and explain to them, they do get it. And then when they try and explain to other people, you can see that it's all becoming very, very confused. And that is because, so to, to, to try and remove this, I'm going to start from here. The reason why we are so confused in defining what Masjid Al-Aqsa is, is because we are so accustomed to understanding a masjid as a building. Throughout our lives, from the time we've grown up, we've always known the concept of a masjid to be a building. It has a door, it has a roof, it has walls. Some have minarets, some have domes, some have beautiful pattern carpets, not all of them. Some have mihrabs, but we always associate a masjid with a building. Anybody tells you about a masjid, immediately you picture a building. So this is, this is the basis, one of the reasons of the confusion, one of many reasons. Masjid al-Aqsa is very different. Masjid al-Aqsa is not the name of a building. Masjid al-Aqsa is not the name of a structure. Masjid al-Aqsa is different. And to, first, let, there are three ingredients for a masjid. If you need a masjid, there are three things that you need. Number one, al-ard, meaning land. Number two, al-hudud, boundaries. And number three, ittijah al-qibla, direction of the qibla. That's all you need. So if there is a masjid, it doesn't have a dome, would it be a masjid? No, we don't, need a, we don't need a dome, so it would be a masjid. If there's no fancy carpet, can it still be a masjid? Now remember, so we need, we need al-ard, we need earth, land. So you can't have a masjid in, in, in the air. Okay, so you need land, hudud. So you need a boundary. Where the masjid starts, where the masjid ends. Okay, now that boundary doesn't necessarily have to be a sophisticated wall. 
It could be a line made in the sand, like you might see in some of the deserts of Mauritania and other places, that they've just drawn a line in the sand, or a line of stones, or little fence, or just some pebbles. Or it could be, mashallah, as we have, walls of bricks, marble, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't have to be a sophisticated wall. If somebody says, this is the masjid, it starts from here, ends here. And you've put some kind of a mark, and it could be anything. That's sufficient. And the third thing is we need the direction of the Qibla to decide we're going to pray in this direction. That's all you need for a masjid. It doesn't have to have a roof. It doesn't have to have doors. It doesn't have to have where will the Imam stand. None of that is necessary. These are additional features. None of these are necessary for a masjid. So now you may understand Masjid Al-Aqsa better. Masjid Al-Aqsa is the name of 144,000 square meters of land. So what you can see now, I'm going to point with the arrow as you can see. This whole area, what you can see here, if you see, follow the arrow. Everything you see that's highlighted, all of that is Masjid Al-Aqsa. That is all Masjid Al-Aqsa with everything that's contained in it. Nowadays, most people tell you, if you put the picture of the Dome of the Rock, and it's funny, just before I came here, somebody was trying to you know, have this debate with me on, uh, it was on Instagram actually, and uh, I usually don't respond uh, because it's just, it's, it's, it, it doesn't work. And you, somebody who's never been, and they've just been sort of indoctrinated with this kind of belief, and people believe in it so strongly, and they're so passionate about it. I don't usually get involved, but today I thought maybe uh, I, 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 somebody, I, I, there was a picture of the Dome of the Rock. I, I hadn't even put on there that this is Masjid Al-Aqsa. I, I can't remember what it was. And they said, oh, this is not Masjid Al-Aqsa. So I said, oh, okay, which one is Masjid Al-Aqsa? So whoever it was, brother or sister said, I'll private message you or send you a direct message. And then I received a message with this building over here. Okay, can you see the one I'm pointing to with the arrow? For those who are following online. And this is very common, it's happening every single day and now even more because there's more discussion on Palestine and Masjid Al-Aqsa. So this, this building here. Now what's very interesting is this building here didn't exist at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. It didn't even exist at the time of Sayyiduna Umar anhu to whom this building is normally attributed. This building doesn't exist. Let alone the building, even that level of flooring didn't exist. It wasn't that high during the time of Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. When we go inside the masjid, we'll explain this further in detail. So there's a lot of confusion and we're just taking our information from what we hear online. So people have this thing about this central building here, which we all know it's the Dome of the Rock. And for some reason, it's just become common that it's a Zionist conspiracy that they try and show you this and they say, it's not this one, it's that one. Both are false. This is not Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is not Masjid Al-Aqsa. All of this is Masjid Al-Aqsa. Masjid Al-Aqsa is the name of 144,000 square meters of land and every single building, structure, monument on it. There are approximately 200 structures and monuments in Masjid Al-Aqsa. When we normally go there, we're there for a whole week. And every single day whilst we are there, we spend a significant amount of time visiting places. We go outside, but inside Al-Aqsa as well. And in a whole week, we are not able to finish visiting, learning about 
just the structures inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. So today, obviously, I'm, I'm just letting you know from now, what we will do will be tip of the iceberg, just a small percentage. It's impossible to cover such a huge, until 1988, this was the largest masjid in the whole world. Until 1988, the largest masjid in the whole world. Okay, it has the capacity of half a million worshippers. If we were to gather together inside Masjid Al-Aqsa like we do at the time of Hajj, okay, where everybody's crowded together and you're making such down somebody's back, those of you who've been for Hajj, you will know how it is, how cramped it gets. You can fit in there half a million people. Now, can you see what happens if we restrict Masjid Al-Aqsa to this building, okay, this building can only accommodate 5,500 people. What are you doing there? You're reducing Masjid Al-Aqsa to a very small percentage of what it actually is. And many of the scholars, when we take information, we have to take it from authentic, reliable sources. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah has mentioned very clearly that everything that is within the outer wall is Masjid Al-Aqsa. And secondly, most likely the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam ascended to the heavens on the night of Mi'raj from around where the Dome of the Rock is. How can that not be part of Masjid Al-Aqsa? If he went for Mi'raj from there, how can that not be part of Masjid Al-Aqsa? So those just were a few um, introductory points. Um, I, I would like to talk more on this because this is a very... Because if we can't define the Masjid, you know, what use is there learning anything else? How are we going to liberate the masjid which we don't even know the, uh, the, 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 the parameters of the masjid? So this is very, very important. And the Dome of the Rock is a very significant part of Masjid Al-Aqsa. We cannot, we cannot uh, reduce it and say this is not Masjid. Of course it is. It's a very important part. Yes, we can't restrict it to just that. But Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, before we enter a couple of other points, the shape of Masjid Al-Aqsa um, as you can see, it's an irregular rectangular shape. So the sides are not, are not equal. Normally on a rectangle, you've got equal sides, uh, two equal sides and the, the parallel sides are equal. This is an irregular rectangular shape, if that's even a word. Um, so I'm just going to give you the size so you, can, you get a bit of an idea. So always, whenever you see this building, Okay, the one with the dome that looks green or gray, in reality, that is black in color. Okay, so th those who are archaeologists and work on the actual building, they say it's a black dome. Although it doesn't look black, but that is the actual color. You can call it the green dome or the gray dome. Um, so whenever you see this building, just to get your bearings, that tells you that that is the southern part of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Okay, so that's the south. Okay. So where you see this building, that's the south. So that means automatically this is the north. This side over here is the western side of Masjid Al-Aqsa. And this is the eastern side of Masjid Al-Aqsa. So I'm just going to give you the exact size and the diameters of Masjid Al-Aqsa. So the western wall of Masjid Al-Aqsa, okay, going across here, that is 490 meters. 490 meters, that's nearly half a kilometer, right? That's big, that's huge. Nearly half a kilometer, one side. So this is 490 meters. The Qibla wall, which is the southern wall, that is 283 meters. 
Then we have the eastern wall. The eastern wall is 474 meters. And then the northern wall, this one, is 321 meters. So all of the sides are unequal, but this is the longest side, nearly. So if you were to start from one end, the northern side of Masjid Al-Aqsa and enter and walk all the way here, you will have walked nearly half a kilometer. That's how big Masjid Al-Aqsa is. So I told you it's got the capacity of half a million people. There's different levels. There's like you can say there's three levels uh, to Masjid Al-Aqsa. The highest point is where the Dome of the Rock is. Now, let's move on now. So what you can see there are the existing gates and the entrance points to Masjid Al-Aqsa. How many are there? How many can you count? Ten. Very good. That was quick. MashaAllah. Okay, so in total, Masjid Al-Aqsa has 15 gates. 15 gates. This reminds me, when the Prophet ﷺ returned from the Mi'raj, the people asked him, okay, if you went there, can you tell me how many, how many gates are there? Describe it. Describe the features of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, the journey was miraculous. The Prophet ﷺ went through so many different stages, meeting the Anbiya, leading them, going ascending to the heavens, returning, and choosing between the milk or the wine, and all of these incidents that happened. At such a time, a person doesn't look around and start counting and looking at all the features. And he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, to answer, to, in, in, in order to answer them, he needed the assistance and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removed. And he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened up Baytul Maqdis, Masjid al-Aqsa in front of him and he looked towards al-Aqsa, Baytul Maqdis and responded to them. So, in total, Masjid al-Aqsa has 15 gates. You can only see 10 marked out here because five of them are sealed, are closed. They are no longer accessible. I'll show you where those five were. And when you do go there, inshallah, you will see the markings uh, of those and how they've been sealed up. So the five that have been closed. So on this wall, which is, which wall is this? I've told you now, so you can tell me which wall is this? The eastern wall, Jazakallah khairan, very good. So on the eastern wall, there were originally two gates. One over here, which is called Babur Rahma. Babur Rahma, the gate of mercy, a very important gate of Masjid al-Aqsa, probably the original gate of Masjid al-Aqsa, Babur Rahma. And then we had another gate just over here, which was known as Babul Janais. Small gate called Babul Janais. And this gate uh, is adjacent to a cemetery. Just over here, where I'm pointing with the arrow, we have a cemetery which is known as Maqbara Bab al-Rahma, the cemetery of the Gate of Mercy. In it, there are buried two great Sahaba as well, Shaddad ibn Aws radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and Sayyiduna Ubadah ibn Samit radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. So these were two gates on the eastern wall. They have been sealed and closed. They are no longer accessible. And then there were three gates on this wall, what, which side is this? The southern side. So the Qibla side is the southern side. Over here we have a gate called Bab al-Mufrid, meaning the single gate. And then we have over here Bab al-Thulathi, the triple gate, because there's three entrances. 
And then over here we have where the pointer is Bab al Muzdawaj, meaning the double gate, because to enter this two entrances. So the double gate, the triple gate, and Bab al Mufrid, the single gate. These have been sealed and closed, they are no longer accessible. So altogether there are 15 gates, 5 are closed, 10 are open. Now from the 10 that are open, Muslims can use 9. One, unfortunately, we cannot use. It's been occupied and only the Zionist settlers enter from there or some tourists, non-Muslim tourists enter from there. Muslims, unfortunately, cannot enter from this gate over here, which is known as Bab al-Maghariba, the Moroccan gate. So we have over here in this corner, Bab al-Asbat. So the Asbat gate, on the, this is the northern side. Then we have Bab Hitta. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Banu Israel, So after that incident, this name, the gate has been named. Bab Hitta. And then we have this gate on the third gate on the northern wall, which is known as Bab al-Malik Faisal. Malik Faisal, not from Saudi Arabia, the one from Iraq. Al-Malik Faisal, after his visit, from Iraq when he visited, then it was named after him. This gate is also called Bab Sharaful Anbiya, and it's also called Bab Al-Itam, meaning dark, darkness, because in that area, it's not very bright when you come out. So some of them used to refer it to as Bab Al-Itam, Bab Sharaful Anbiya, because it's the place of Anbiya alayhim salatu wassalam. And in more recent times, after the king of Iraq visited King Faisal, they named it Bab Malik Faisal, and now people refer to it as Bab Malik Faisal. Then, what side is this now? The western. Jazakallah khairan, we're doing well, mashallah. So, on the western wall, uh, we have more gates. Most of the gates are here. This is Bab al-Ghawanima in the corner because there was the tribe of Ghawanima that used to live in this area. So they've named it Bab al-Ghawanima. Then we have Bab al-Nadir. Al-Nadir was a person, it was a duty and a role that was given to the person that was like the custodian, the one who looked after the masjid and he was in charge of certain affairs. Um, so he, his office used to be in that area. Thus it was called Bab al-Nadir. It's also called Bab al-Majlis. And there are other names given to this as well. Um, then we have Bab al-Hadid, the Iron Gate. Bab al-Qattani, the Cotton Merchant's Gate. Uh, it's probably one of the most largest gates on that particular side. Then we have Bab al-Mathara, the ablution gate. Speak about that more once we're inside, inshallah. Then we have Bab al-Silsila, chain gate. And we have Bab al-Maghariba, the Moroccan gate. Now, if you look at where Bab al-Maghariba is, Bab al-Maghariba means Moroccan gate. Moroccan, Moroccan, it's not really referring to just Moroccans. It's referring to North Africans. When Salahuddin Ayyubi rahmatullahi came to liberate Baytul Maqdis, many people from North Africa joined him on his journey and were part of his army. They were very pious, dedicated to the service of the masjid. Therefore, Salahuddin Ayyubi rahmatullahi gave them this area, this area adjacent to Masjid al-Aqsa, and they named it Hay al-Maghariba. This is the quarter of the North Africans. They live there, their children live there, for many, many, many years. And this is like the easiest way to access the masjid because when you come in, you go straight towards the Qibla where the Imam leads the Salah from. And you know they were very dedicated, so they were given this honor. Uh, as we know, in 1967, 
when the occupation of East Jerusalem, where Masjid al-Aqsa is took place, one of the first things the Zionist occupation did was they took over this whole area. They demolished all the houses. There are newspaper reports present today that tell you that some of the houses had their inhabitants within them. And despite that, they demolished the houses. So people were killed. And everybody else was sent to refugee camps, to the Shafat refugee camp, not very far from Jerusalem, you can see today today as well and that is where those inhabitants were they added this whole area as an addition to the jewish quarter of the old city of jerusalem and they extended this area for where we normally refer to as the wailing wall that's over here that's this wall of masjid al-aqsa this wall of masjid al-aqsa on the other side of that is what they refer to as the wailing wall what is it it's a wall of masjid al-aqsa it's the western wall of masjid al-aqsa so I think um, we should enter from Babul Magharibah. What do you think? Because if you go there, you can't. So inshallah, today we will enter from Babul Magharibah uh, with the hope that inshallah, very soon, Muslims will be entering Masjid Al-Aqsa from Bab Al-Magharibah, inshallah ta'ala. So let's go, bismillah. Let's enter into Masjid Al-Aqsa from Bab Al-Magharibah. Just takes a few seconds to load. So once again, whilst it's loading, I will mention the point which I will keep mentioning. Masjid al-Aqsa is not the name of a building or a structure. It's not the green dome. It's not the golden dome. It's much larger than that. 144,000 square meters of land. There are approximately 200 monuments. There are four minarets. There are 600 olive trees inside Masjid al-Aqsa. There are many 25 wells, there are 15 madrasas, there are many educational platforms, there are multiple mihrabs, you would lose count if you were to try and count how many mihrabs there are in Masjid Al-Aqsa. And like I said, until 1988, it was the largest masjid in the whole world. Right, so Alhamdulillah, we've just entered into Masjid Al-Aqsa. Okay, so let me just show you the Moroccan gate. Let's turn around. There we are. Can you see? That green door, that's the Moroccan gate. You can see it here. Babul Magariba. It's written over here. The Moroccan gate. So this, now we've entered. This, we are now inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Once you enter from here, now can you see everything you can see? Everything you can see. This is all Masjid Al-Aqsa. Everything, all of it including the structures, the buildings, the trees, the open areas, all of this is Masjid Al-Aqsa, all of it. This is, can you see what that is? Yeah, this is what people normally refer to as Masjid Al-Aqsa. What's the actual name of this? Jami' Al-Qibli. Jami' Al-Qibli. Jami' means where people get together, like we call a musalla, because people pray there and the Imam leads from there because it's towards the Qibla and because it's obviously facing towards the Qibla they say they call it Qibli the Qibli Musalla or the Jami Al Qibli it is wrong and incorrect to refer to this building as Masjid Al Aqsa this building is not Masjid Al Aqsa this building is part of Masjid Al Aqsa it's a small part of Masjid Al Aqsa 
5,500 worshippers can fit in this building. Remember, this wasn't there at the time of the Prophet This came much later on. We'll speak about when it came. Um, but this is an important part of Masjid Al-Aqsa, but Masjid Al-Aqsa is not limited to this building. So let's continue our journey, inshallah, into Masjid Al-Aqsa. So everything you can see here is Masjid Al-Aqsa. Can you see here, you've got a little raised platform. Okay, you've got a little raised platform. There are many of these in Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is known as a Mastabatul Ilm, a platform of knowledge. This was dedicated to a sheikh and his students would come out and sit with him, maybe learning fiqh and tafsir, or tariq, or aqaid, or tajweed, or nahwa, it depends. And there are many of these. Masjid al-Aqsa was a center of learning. It was a center of ilm. Uh, let's continue. So this is the Jami al-Qibli on our right. We will come here, inshallah, towards the end. Let us go towards the Qubbatul Sakhra, which is located in the heart of Masjid al-Aqsa and start from one of the most important parts of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, every single stone tells you a different story in this masjid. Every stone has a story. Every pebble has a story. Every rock has a story. And it's impossible to cover all of them. Uh, we will, inshallah, try and cover whatever we can in the little time that we have. Now, this is something that we've all seen in pictures. Have we seen this? If I, if I go back a little bit. Uh, so this is, you come out of the Qibli and let me just turn around. There. This is an image which you've probably all seen on pictures, image videos, uh, picture frames you might even have in your houses where someone's taken a shot from this angle. Um, so let's start from here, inshallah. So this is a water fountain. The name of this is Sabil al-Kats. The Kats, Kats means cup in Arabic. So the cup fountain, because it's in the shape of a cup, they've named it after this. This was originally built by the Umayyads. So we're going back 1300 years ago. However, the current structure dates back to the Ayyubid period. When I say Ayyubid period, we're going back 800 years. So when you look at this, this is 800 years old. Yes, the taps are probably new because at that time they didn't have taps. But besides that, this is 800 years old, this particular structure. You can go there and you can make wudu there. It's an open wudu area and it's very beautiful to perform wudu there. Uh, and you can, there's many facilities like this inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is one of the wudu areas, open wudu areas. So let's continue towards the Qubbatul Sakhra. So I, as you can see, the Qubbatul Sakhra, the Dome of the Rock, it's located on a higher level. Now, Masjid Al-Aqsa is actually based on a mountain. And the name of this mountain is Mount Moria. Okay, Moria, in English, Moria, M-O-R-I-A-H, mountain. So part of the Masjid is on the mountain. The highest part of this mountain is where the Dome of the Rock is. The rock is actually the highest point of the mountain. It's not a rock that somebody's come and placed there. That is the highest part of that particular mount. These steps that you can see, in, 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 in reality, it's you're climbing up the mountain. They've covered them up with slabs in the Umayyad period, okay, going back 1300 years ago. But in reality, you're climbing up a mountain. Um, so let's, let's go up these steps. Now, 
You can see these arches. Yeah, we can see these arches in front of us. These arches, they are known as bawaik. Uh, the jama' and the plural of ba'ika. Some have even referred to them, some historians have re referred to them as mawazin. And mawazin is the plural and the jama' of mizan, which means scale. Scales, because they look like scales to some people, they call them ba'ika. Now what's the purpose of this? One is obviously is decorative. At the same time, what it allows the people to do is, for example, if at the times of uh, rush and when there's a large amount of people, you could say, right, two of the entrances can people going in one direction, two going in the other direction. So this is one of the uses of these, you can call them a portico or an archway, and there are eight of these surrounding the Dome of the Rock, and it just increases the beauty. Sometimes you see something magnificent in one go, this kind of breaks it up. Each time you go up the step, you see another part of the magnificence of the Dome of the Rock, uh, which we are heading towards now. Now, like I said, time doesn't allow to go into all of the detail. I'm just gonna quickly point something out to you. If you look closely over here, can you see? This is a sundial. And it, it shows you the time of Salatul Dhuhr only. It was, it was put there by the Ottomans in the early 1900s. Um, so like this, there are so many gems all over Masjid Al-Aqsa. Uh, it's, it's about going there, finding them, learning about them, uh, and, and seeing how Muslims you know, frequented Masjid Al-Aqsa and how they utilized the space, the large space that was there. So let's go up the steps. Bismillah. Right, okay. So now we are on the highest level of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Remember, I'm still calling it Masjid Al-Aqsa. I'm going to make a request and an appeal today uh, to everybody that's watching, everybody that's present here, those who are joining us from London, from all parts of the country and all over the world. Please stop calling this a compound. Don't say compound. It's not a compound. Don't say courtyard. I mean, it's not impermissible to call it a courtyard. But in reality, when we, are, when we are using the words compound, courtyard, even sanctuary, okay, we're totally missing the point. And the point is, all of this is Masjid Al-Aqsa. When you give it a different name to what Allah has given, Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam have given this whole entire area two names. Masjid Al-Aqsa in the Quran, Baytul Maqdis in the Hadith. And it's very important that Muslims start using these phrases. Do not call it Al-Haram Al-Sharif because this is what the Zionists call it as well. They don't mind you calling it Al-Haram Al-Sharif, the noble sanctuary. They don't mind. To be honest, those who've been to Jerusalem, you will actually see signs, recent signs put up and they will, the signs will say Al-Haram Al-Sharif. They don't mind. It says Al-Haram Al-Sharif and then cross, it says Temple Mount. They don't mind. And they are the ones, the Zionists are the ones that call the Green Dome building Al-Aqsa. They don't call this Al-Aqsa. Do you know what the people tell you? That, uh, you know, they're showing you this Dome of the Rock and they want you to believe this is Al-Aqsa. That's totally wrong. They would never do that because it goes against what they want. The most holiest part for them which they want. If, if they, the Zionists, were given an opportunity to build a synagogue in the whole of Masjid Al-Aqsa, they would build it here where the Dome of the Rock is. They don't care about that area and they're happy 
to, for you to believe that that is Al-Aqsa. And they are successful. All these people online that are telling people this is not Aqsa, that is Aqsa, the Zionists are very happy with this because it, it really helps their narrative. Because they call the rest of the whole area, they're very happy to call it Al-Haram Al-Sharif, the Noble Sanctuary. What does that mean? That means that the Muslim prayer area is only the green domed area, which is, it has the capacity of 5,500, and the rest of the whole area is just a courtyard. Anybody can come there. What's the issue if settlers come there? What's the issue if non-Muslims pray there? Is that the reality? No, the reality is every single centimeter is Masjid Al-Aqsa, whether it's roofed or whether it's open, whether it's a raised platform, whether it's under a tree. Anywhere you pray, if you were to go and pray, if I were to stand here, for example, where this arrow is and perform two rakat salah, this is praying inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. So from now, please avoid using the words as courtyard, uh, sanctuary, uh, compound, and refer to it as Masjid Al-Aqsa. Allah calls it Masjid Al-Aqsa. At the time when he revealed the verses of the Quran, Okay, that building that you're talking about didn't even exist. And he called the whole of this area Masjid Al-Aqsa. The hadith refers to it as Baytul Maqdis. Very important for Muslims to preserve our terminology. Part of preserving our Islamic identity is to preserve our Islamic terminology. There's going to be a time before the end of Qiyam, time before Qiyamah, when there'll be nothing left except words and we're seeing many a times we don't have what, what islam is left within us if we revive this islamic terminology and remember this is one of the sha'air of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just like safa and marwa and maqam ibrahim and zamzam the kaaba the adhan the masajid of allah masjid nabawi Similarly, Masjid Al-Aqsa is one of the symbols and the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that prove the truthfulness of this religion. It's an ayah of the Quran. It's our aqidah. We must preserve it correctly. And the first thing is to be able to define it. Sorry, I've gone on a bit there. Um, but I, I think this is a very important point to avoid giving all of these terminologies uh, Al-Haram Al-Sharif and compound and courtyard and call the entire thing Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is why, this is why in Jerusalem now, the Awqaf, whenever they publish anything, because what they've tried to do in any legal documents, they try to call it Al-Haram Al-Sharif, which means that the entire area is a, a courtyard and the prayer area is just the first part. So now the Awqaf in Jerusalem any legal documents that they use, any lettering, any kind of uh, writing, you will always find, they will use Al-Haram Al-Sharif, but there's a reason behind it. You might think, well, why don't they just delete it? They use it, what they do, they write Al-Haram Al-Sharif slash Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. What you are referring to as Al-Haram Al-Sharif, to us, the whole of it is Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. This is why they've continued doing this. This is a political step uh, towards the correction of the definition. Nevertheless, so let's continue with our visit here. So let's look at the Dome of the Rock. So Al-Qubbatu Sakhra, the Dome of the Rock. Everybody hears about it. What's the reality of this? This is probably one of the oldest 
stunning Islamic structures in the world. It's Umayyad in its structure, so we're talking more than 1300 years old, and it still stands there in its magnificence. One of the oldest standing Islamic structures in the whole world, um, and, and it's huge. Now, what's the history of this? Why was it built? Now, I, I'm not sure if you can see from here, possibly not, but if you were to stand here in Masjid al-Aqsa and look towards the left, you will see the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where Christians believe, according to them, Jesus Christ was placed on the cross, and then he was taken down and bathed, and then he was placed into a tomb, and a few days later, his body was uh, resurrected. This is what Christians believe. Now, there's a massive church built there uh, and by Constantine, and this church has huge domes, and the domes are quite huge, and they overpower the skyline of Jerusalem. Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, rahimahullah, Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, when he built this, he wanted to ensure that this skyline of Jerusalem, the overpowering features should be something Islamic. Just like we have the Blue Mosque built opposite the Hagia Sophia in Istanbul as a, a, as a competition to show, you know, this is the masjid and that was the church. Similarly here, we have an Abdul Malik ibn Marwan achieved what he wanted to do. Now, he didn't build it himself. He commissioned the building of the Dome of the Rock and there were two architects. Uh, one was from a place called Baysan in, in, in Palestine in the north and one was from Al-Quds, Jerusalem. Raja ibn Hayawa. Raja ibn Hayawa al-Kindi, he was actually a tabi'i. He had seen the Sahaba. So one of the architects of this is a tabi'i, Raja ibn Hayawa and Yazid ibn Salam, who was a Christian. He embraced Islam from Jerusalem. These are the two architects who built and designed the Dome of the Rock. Seven years of the Kharaj, meaning the land tax of Egypt, was used to fund the building of the Dome of the Rock back then in more than 1300 years ago. We're talking about possibly $3 billion then. A lot of money was spent on this. And when they completed the structure, there was about uh, $20 million worth of gold left. They're using real gold. $20 million worth of gold left. But this is extra now. It's remaining. We don't need it anymore. We've completed the structure. Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, the Khalifa of the time, he decided that the two architects who built this, they deserve this money. $10 million to one, $10 million to the other. So the two architects, Raja ibn Hayawa, Yazid ibn Salam, were invited and said, here, this is a gift. Please take this. Remember, at that time, the dome was black. It was a black lead dome. It wasn't gold. So both of these architects, they refused to accept the money. Said, Let alone take any money for this. This is a huge amount for them to turn away and to turn down. They said, let alone us take any money for this. We should be giving money from our pockets. Let us go back and bring our wives jewelry to dedicate and donate towards this huge and amazing project. As a result of their refusal to accept this money for, for the remuneration of their work, Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, he got an idea. He decided to burn these gold coins, to melt them, 
and he poured, got it poured over the black lead dome, which then led to the Dome of the Rock having a dome made of pure gold. When you see that gold, that is not gold, gold. That is the gold shine of ikhlas and sincerity. That these two individuals, this is ikhlas. When you do something sincerely, Allah will make you shine. How does that, that, that dome shines? At the moment, it's shining in the whole of the world. No matter where you go, in Jerusalem, if you go on any mountain, whether you're a Christian or a Jew, even for them, if they want to take a picture from anywhere, you all, that, that will always be there. And that ikhlas paid off so well that this is, this is the shine. And it was, it's not always been gold throughout history. So originally it was black in color. Abdul Malik ibn Marwan had this idea. Okay, let's burn these, let's melt these golden coins and then pour it over. It became gold. And then the surrounding was all gold as well, real gold, all the mosaics. Well, you can see blue now. I'll come to that in a moment. It was all gold. Um, the Umayyads were very, very rich. They had a lot of money. Um, they, they were very wealthy. And so they used a lot of gold. And even, can you see the squares over here? Each square is like a meter square. One meter. I'm just trying to give you an idea of how huge it is. It's not small. So if that's a meter, you can imagine... Uh, how, how huge that dome is. It's, it's massive, it's huge. And this, this building and structure is huge as well. And it's marble around the whole of the area. And um, so the gold dome remained gold until the Fatimid period, which we're going back, what, 900 years from now, when there were many earthquakes. And due to the earthquakes, um, it got destroyed. So from then, it remained black in color again. So it was a black lead dome all the way till um, the late 1950s. It remained black in color. So that dome has been black most of the time. It wasn't gold. So it was gold initially until the Fatimid period. So 1300 years ago, it was originally black, got converted into gold. And then it was black from the Fatimid period all the way till the uh, 1950s, I'd say. And then the king of Jordan at the time decided to return it to its glory again. And they used copper for it to look like gold. And then more recently, King Hussein of Jordan has had it changed in, I'd say, uh, 1980 something or maybe the 2000s I can't remember now exactly um, now what you see now is a combination of zinc and aluminium and then a very fine a few millimeters of real gold spread throughout uh, which is weather resistant obviously uh, you know we, we've got more technology now and you can there's a lot of different kinds of materials available. So there is real gold, but a very minute amount of real gold has been used on there and spread throughout. Nevertheless, we've got inscriptions of Surat Yasin and Suratul Isra. Now what you can see on the outer, this blue color, it never used to be blue. When the Umayyads originally built this structure, it was gold, golden mosaics. Let, let's try and go a little bit closer so you can see. Like I said, we've got 97% accuracy here, so you can read a lot of the engravings and the calligraphy as well. Um, so this has been done by the, the Ottoman Sultan, Sultan Suleiman Al-Qanuni. So 500 years on from the original structure, he decided to remove all of the golden mosaics and apply this blue and green tile 
The name of this tile is Balat Al-Kashani. That's the name. It's a Turkish kind of a tiling. And this is what they applied throughout, as you can see, on the outer. So this was all gold before. He removed it. And then we have the inscription of Surah Al-Isra and Surah Yasin. Now, before the two architects started building the Dome of the Rock, they started the, with this building. So this building is even older than the Dome of the Rock. This is known as Qubbatul Silsila, which is the chain dome. Originally, historians mention it was built as a prototype, as a sample, a model for the original. However, after building it, they decided they wanted to make some changes because this Qubbatul Silsila has 11 sides. The Dome of the Rock has eight sides. So they didn't continue with the plan and they decided to change it. Now, I'll tell you something very interesting. The Qubbatul Silsila, meaning this building here, that marks the exact center of Masjid Al-Aqsa. It shows you how intellectual the Umayyads were for them to be able to accurately measure the entire area of Masjid Al-Aqsa and pinpoint where the exact center point is 1300 years ago. So Qubbatul Silsila, if you ever see Qubbatul Silsila, the little dome next to the Dome of the Rock, that tells you that is the exact center of Masjid Al-Aqsa. So what is the Dome of the Rock then? The Dome of the Rock is the, rock is the heart of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Where is the heart in the body? Is it in the center? No. Where is it? Slightly towards the left, exactly here. Dome of the Rock is, we call this, this is the heart of Masjid Al-Aqsa. The center point, meaning the heart. So not exact center, we call it the heart, which is slightly towards the left, whereas this is the center point of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, like I said, there are so many different historical facts that we can cover and discuss and talk about. I've already been given a notice that there's um, less than an hour left, so I think I should carry on and let's go inside and see what we can cover, inshallah. Are we ready to enter? There's a lot of things I can share with you regarding the outer, some of the inscriptions, but let's, let's go inside first. So that is Qubbatul Sakhra. We are now inside the Dome of the Rock. It's an awesome building. It's absolutely beautiful from inside. And you see the gold continues. So inside as well, you've got a lot of gold going on here. So those who've been, this will bring back memories because it's, it's quite accurate. You actually feel that you're there. Now, let's go all the way to the center. So you can see, that's the rock. You've heard about this rock all your life. You see the dome of the rock, but you don't actually get to see the rock. That is the actual rock that's beneath. That rock isn't floating. A lot of people think it's a rock that's floating. It's not floating. It's a natural rock. Nobody came and placed it there. It's the top of the mountain. Remember, Hadabat uh, Muriya, it's a hill, a mountainous hill. This is the top and the highest point. And this is why most of the scholars are of the opinion, most likely Rasulullah ascended the heavens from here, from the rock, because it's the highest point. And we have the verses of the Quran. Uh, I can't recall the verse now. Uh, when the caller will call from a near place, Imam Al-Qurtubi and many other Mufassireen, they have written that it's referring to the Sakhra and the rock in Baytul Maqdis, that at this moment in time, the angel Israfil is standing here with the horn and waiting to blow. 
and when he will blow, the entire created world will be destroyed. When he blows again, everybody will start to gather. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he was asked regarding Baytul Maqdis, what did he say? He said, this is Ardul Mahshari wal Manshar, the place of gathering and resurrection. The first to arrive here by Israfil will be Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the rest of the believers and then the rest of the creation. Nevertheless, so this is the rock. And let's look towards the dome. So the dome is very beautiful from inside. It's all gold, as you can see. Uh, let me see if I can go any closer so you can see. So what the Umayyads have done is they built this out of gold. Of course, it's been renovated throughout the times. It got destroyed as well. They've tried to maintain some of the original designs in there. And then it's been uh, redecorated again by the Ayyubids later on, and then the Ottomans again. And you can tell by the inscriptions. So what they've done here at the top, because this is the highest point of Masjid al-Aqsa, this is Ayatul Kursi. Allahu la ilaha illahu wal hayyul qayyum. So if you remember the Quran says that there will be eight angels carrying the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in resemblance to this, they have over here have the inscription of Ayatul Kursi right at the top and as you know in islam we are not allowed to draw animated objects so in our holy places we don't have statues we don't have pictures so what the umayyads did they used this is all mosaics very very old mosaic and what they've done is they've utilized the fruits that have been mentioned by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the quran grapes for example date palm trees for example figs for example and other types of pomegranate for example mentioned in the hadith and other kind of fawakih and thamarat and, and, and flowers and leaves and they have beautified this whole area uh, using these so if we go back a little bit um, so this is Qubbatul Sakhra from inside you can see this is this marble inside as well these are some of the pillars and you can actually go those of you who've been will know you can actually go inside the rock so we're now inside the rock we're not underneath the rock remember we're not going underneath the rock we are now there's an opening in the actual rock so we're inside the rock um, so this is the rock above this is the actual the rest of the rock above that is the dome of the rock and there are two mihrabs in here uh, this mihrab over here is from the Umayyad period so we're going back 1300 years and this one over here is from the Fatimid period before Sultan Salahuddin Ayyubi we're going back 900 years uh, so two small mihrabs in here uh, this is from the Umayyad period so this is a small area and as you can see anybody who believes that this rock is floating maybe they look at it from over here and if they were to look from the steps they would probably think yeah it's in the air but when you come down you can see it's actually layers of rocks these are layers of rocks on on top of each other it's just the type of rock uh, that's used there that, that is found found there so that was inside the actual rock uh, if we go further there are different types of pillars i don't have time to go into the detail 
of the pillars. You can see the beauty of the engravings, the mosaics, the marble tiles that they've used throughout. This is a staircase. It's normally closed. It's closed now as well. So you wouldn't be able to go there. However, because we're on a virtual tour, we can do some things that you can't normally. This is, if you want to go to the actual top of the dome, you might have seen some pictures where there's a person cleaning the dome or just waving his hand and he's taking a picture. This is where you would go from. Um, so we've come up the stairs uh, and we're having a view over here. What I wanted to show you, if we can see it, I don't think we can see it from here. There is some calligraphy at the top. I think we've come too far back. That's as close as we can get to it. Okay, I just want you to see some of the design. Can you see? You can see grapes. You can see figs. You can see date trees. This is the kind of design they used in those times. And right at the top here, I'm not sure if it's visible from this angle, there is an inscription of Surah Al-Ikhlas. This is probably one of the oldest Islamic calligraphies in the world, present today, from the Umayyad period, in mosaic, uh, and it's got the, um, the, some of the verses of Surah Al-Ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ You can clearly read, اللَّهُ الصَّمَدْ لَمْ يَرِدْ وَلَمْ يُورَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفْوًا أَحَدٌ It's here at the top there. Okay, let's go back down. And we'll exit from here. So that was a, just a little overview of the Dome of the Rock in Qubbatul Sakhra. Um, as soon as it gets us out from here, let's continue our journey. Now, what I want you to show you is we normally refer to the building with the green dome as Al-Aqsa. I've explained already that that is Jami Al-Qibli. And it's normally referred to as the masjid built by Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu when he came to liberate Masjid Al-Aqsa. So let me just explain that a little better now, inshallah. And then we'll come back to these areas, inshallah, if time allows. So let's just find where we are. So there's so many structures here. I think whilst we're here, I'll quickly share with you some of the structures that are here. Um, so we already know this. What's this called? It's the center. Anybody remember the name? Anybody remember the name of this domed? Qubbatu Silsila, the chain dome. Okay, when we come out of the Dome of the Rock and we go towards the southern wall, right, can you see right opposite you, you can see like a green entrance. Can you see this one there? Yeah, everybody can see a green entrance. If I turn around, it's directly opposite this building. What did we say this building represents? The center point of Masjid Al-Aqsa. I forgot to mention, initially it was a prototype. After that, this was the seating area of Suleiman ibn Abdul Malik. And the architects also use this as a, like a little office area for their work, etc. So this marks the exact center point. So now, 
this green, that tells you the exact center point in the Qibla wall. In the Qibla wall, that shows you the exact center point. Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he arrived, using that, uh, so that wasn't there at the, at the time, nor was this floor there at the time. Where we, where we are now, this was built by the Umayyads. Remember, the Umayyads came after the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, so 1300 years ago. Okay, very soon after, but this, this whole area wasn't there. It was much further down, because remember, it's a mountain. So the mountain continued going down, down, down. So, if anybody tells you, and this is what everybody says, that this building, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu built over here, it's incorrect. Why? It's not even possible. Historically, it is not possible for Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu to have built anything here because this flooring, this level didn't exist. It was much lower. So this green, it actually marks the place where Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu built a musalla beneath it. Not there, beneath it. Directly beneath this green area that you can see, he built a musalla. Historians mention it was made of timber wood and would accommodate 3,000 people. So that was underneath. Remember, he didn't build Masjid al-Aqsa. Remember, he didn't. Initially, if you look at the discussions that took place between Sayyidina Umar anhu and Kaab al-Ahbar, who was previously a rabbi, and then he accepted Islam. He wasn't a Sahabi, he was a Tabi'i. And he suggested that Umar anhu should build the Musalla, not Masjid al-Aqsa. He should build the Musalla behind the rock. Okay, and Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as you know, even when he went to the Hajarul Aswad, he addressed the Hajarul Aswad and he said, you're only a stone. If I didn't see the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kissing you, I would have never kissed you. Same thing happens here. He says to Kaab al-Ahbar, it seems you've still got some Jewishness inside you. This rock was the Qibla before, it's not the Qibla anymore. Ibn al-Qayyim rahmatullahi mentions that just like the day of Saturday used to be holy, and it's no longer holy. For the Muslims of that time, the Bani Israel, Saturday, the Sabbath was a holy day. They were the Muslims of the time. And Sunday was a holy day for the Nasara. Just like the holiness of Saturday has been taken away, and Sunday has been taken away, and it's given to Friday, he says, similarly, the sanctity of the Qibla feature of the rock has been taken away, and now our Qibla remains the Kaaba. Okay, that doesn't decrease Masjid al-Aqsa in any value. That's just telling you how as real as it gets. And it's important to be authentic and correct. So he suggested to have it there, which tells you the entire area is Masjid al-Aqsa. He said, no, I'm going to make it away from there so nobody gets mixed up and confused. We know our Qibla has changed now. Our Qibla is the Kaaba. It will remain the Kaaba until the Day of Judgment. So he built an area at the bottom of this, underneath this, on the lower ground, because this level of flooring didn't exist. And I'm going to show you in a moment what was, what, you know, how it came about. So this is what marks. Now, this area behind the green door, it's been split into two areas now. Uh, very recently, they've made a medical room there. So anybody that gets injured, anybody that falls ill in Masjid al-Aqsa, there is like a, a clinic present on site where they get treatment immediately. And the other half is a musalla dedicated to Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. There's a mihrab built there in memory of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But again, remember, his musalla wasn't there. 
Many people, they go there, they tell you this is the Musalla of Umar radiallahu ta'ala. It's impossible to have been there because this level of flooring didn't exist. The Umayyads were the first to build this. It was underground. What Sayyidina Umar radiallahu ta'ala would have built. So, let's go towards... Now, if you look at this area over here, it's huge. Can you see? Uh, let me move back a little bit. So, we're on the, uh, the southeast southeastern side of Masjid al-Aqsa. Remember the Qibla wall was the southern side. We've come down from the Dome of the Rock. So let's, I'll just show you where we are. Can you see the Dome of the Rocks there? We came down these steps. Look at this area, it's absolutely huge. You've got a massive area here. It's all open ground. So let's take a journey down to this area. Okay, so we're going to enter into here. This particular building now, today, it's called Musalla Marwani. Very new name. This name was only given, although it refers to the Umayyad period. This name was only given in 1996 by the Palestinians. 1996. Let's see what this is. Remember, this area was never intended by the Umayyads to be a prayer hall. So if we go into this, this is the largest roofed area in Masjid al-Aqsa. Can you see? It's like a vault. So the original name of this structure that we're going in now is At-Dasviyatu Sharqiyyah, the eastern basement. The Umayyads wanted to build on top. The Jami al-Tibli, for example, they wanted to build. Now to be able to build, remember the mountain sloping down. To build that on top, they had to build this huge structure made of 16 vaults and aisles. Uh, as you can see, so that they could give it a firm and solid foundation and base to build on top. And that's what this is. It was never intended to be a musalla, a prayer area. But it, again, when you build, a, when there's a masjid, everything on top, everything underneath, all of it is a masjid. So this, remember we said there are certain gates that are closed. Okay. Uh, can anybody remember any of the closed gates alongside the Qibla wall? We said the single gate and then the triple gate and then the double gate, okay? This is the triple gate, so that's one, two, and three. Can you see? So these were original gates and they are sealed. Because there's three entrances, we call this Bab al-Thulathi. So one of the five closed and sealed gates of Masjid al-Aqsa. Now, when you look at this now at the moment, it doesn't look very big to you. However, when we enter into here, can you see? It opens up and it opens up even more. And it opens up even more. As you go in, it gets larger and larger. So it expands and we see a huge area. Now at the moment, it looks like a prayer area. If it was a prayer area, the pillars wouldn't be in this format. Um, they'd be going horizontally. Remember the same people that built this, built the Jami al-Umawi in Damascus. And the pillar, the, again, it's pillars there, but they go horizontally to, uh, to enable many musallis to perform their salah. This was never aimed to be a place of salah at that time when they built it. However, can you see how huge and massive this area is? You can accommodate 10,000 people in here. 
in this structure, 10,000. And let me show you the single gate. So can you see where that mihrab is, the wooden mihrab? This was built by Palestinians um, recently in 1996. And behind that would have been the single gate above Al-Mufrid, uh, and which is sealed. Now, let me quickly tell you the story of this and how it came about and how we are able to access it now and why we couldn't access it before. So when the Umayyads built this, they built this as a foundation because they wanted to build the Jami al-Qibli at the top, and they did so. And it remained like that. So this wasn't in use. If it was used, it'd be used as a makhzan, like the historians have mentioned, meaning a storage, a basement. And then we find that when the Crusaders took over and they occupied this place, they used this as stables for their horses. Therefore, if you go to some of these pillars, at the bottom of the pillars, you do find holes in these pillars and you can see where the horses were tied. And they started calling this Solomon Stables. Solomon Stables which is an incorrect name anyway. And when Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah came, liberated Baytul Maqdis, he cleared all of this out. He returned it back to a makhzan, meaning a storage. Again, it was never a prayer area. It was used as a storage area, the sufficient prayer area at the top to pray. It's massive, there's loads of space there. And then it remained closed. Now imagine a place from the time of Salahuddin Ayyubi Rahmatullah till 1996 that has been sealed, closed. You're looking at 800 years. Uh, imagine how, how it became, what condition it would have been in. Now, in, 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 in Britain, there was a document circulated where there were certain plans by the Zionist to try and push this agenda that whatever is beneath belongs to the Jews, whatever is above belongs to the Arabs, the Muslims. When the Muslims of Palestine got wind and got, they heard about this news, immediately they got together and they decided we need to do something about this. Otherwise, we're going to lose. Imagine losing this. And this is possibly upon which Yasser Arafat gave his life also for this protection of this particular area. If anybody's into the politics, you can see what was happening at that time and the agreement to agree for this Musalla al-Marwani, as we call it today, to be handed over to them. And can you see the harms of saying the green domed area is Masjid al-Aqsa only? You're limiting it to such a small area. There's huge areas in Masjid al-Aqsa of significance to the Muslims. So this is massive, 10,000 people you can accommodate here. So what happens now? When they heard about this document being circulated, they decided to get together. Many Palestinians got together and they decided that we need to do something. This is what you call people power. What we saw recently, it wasn't led by any scholars. It wasn't led by the Palestinian government. It wasn't led by anybody. This is people power. Just normal people with concern got together and they made the change. And this is, this is very powerful throughout the world. What you're seeing now as an uprising, this is people power. And it's very, very powerful. In unity, there is power. So people got together. So exactly the same thing. Within a short period of 60 days only, the Muslims of Palestine, especially the youngsters, they converted this whole area into a musallah. 
So much so that when the Israeli government found out what's happening, they banned the bringing in of any kind of material. Obviously, you needed cement, you needed tiles, you needed wiring, you need so many things in there uh, to first of all clear it out and secondly then to rebuild it and to get rid of all of the rubble and everything that had been gathering there for 800 years. So they created a human chain, thousands of Palestinian youngsters from here all the way till out of the old city and they started passing on the materials. And like this, within a short period of only 60 days, something that was run down, desolate, left for 800 years, they managed to convert it into a musalla so that it doesn't get further occupied and taken away from the Muslims. And Alhamdulillah, since then they decided to call it, in this is 1996, they decided to call this Musalla Marwani. Prior to 1996, this wasn't accessible. Like I said earlier, it was never meant to be a prayer area, but due to this, they converted it. Now you can go there, you can pray, especially in Jumu'ah. And the beauty of the structure is, even on a hot day, it's quite cool. There's no funds in there, in this particular. Upstairs there is, there's funds, plenty of funds. But in here, there's no funds, there's no AC. But it's not, it's, the Umayyads were experts in their architecture and building. You go down there and it's nice and cool. Uh, in Ramadan, of course, it's full as well. But even on Jumu'ah as well, it's utilized by many people. I forgot to mention the Dome of the Rock. Uh, that is normally, I mean, men can enter there, but that is normally frequented by women. That's, it's, it's like as if it's become a women's area of praying. Women praying there, they follow the main salah that takes place. So salah, there's a separate jama'ah that takes place as there, there as well. A little bit earlier, five minutes earlier than the, the main jama'ah for the women, for the elderly, for the young children that need to go uh, quickly. Uh, and then the main jama'ah takes place in from Al-Qibli. Nevertheless, so this is now a question for you guys. Massive area, 10,000 people. Do you remember the entrance to this place where we came in from? Was it big or small? It was tiny. Until the year 2000, imagine 10,000 people entering into here from 1996 to the year 2000 and then exiting from there as well. It was very, very tight. The Muslims knew that this is, when they look back into history, they knew that this was, there was access to this. The Umayyads had created massive gates. So if I show you something, uh, if we just look here to the back wall, can you see there? That was a gate. There's, I think there's seven gates. That's a huge gate. Or there's five gates, I think. So what the Muslims did, they decided, from the outer, let me just get to the right angle. So they opened the last two. Let's just go towards the end so we can see. Here we are. Can you see? So what the Muslims decided to do is they started digging this area. There's two gates open here from the five or the seven that are here. Original Umayyad gates to enter this area. So the Muslims started digging. Now there you're not allowed to do any kind of digging, any kind of work. So they started digging, they started clearing. And by the way, all that work that they did, imagine for 800 years how much rubble there would be there, how much they need to take out from there. They weren't allowed to dispose of a lot of it. So even today, the eastern side of Masjid al-Aqsa has all of those bricks and slabs old, and they don't allow them to get rid of it. 
So and, and, and they've left the whole eastern side, which a lot of people don't even see, you don't see in pictures and images, of Masjid al-Aqsa is in a very bad, desolate state. And one of the reasons is they want to take over that area. If we have time, I'll talk about that. Otherwise, inshallah, some other time. So what they did was, let's come out of here and we'll continue talking. What they did was they opened up two gates. Uh, and when they did that, that caused the storming of Al-Aqsa in the year 2000 by Ariel Sharon. Everyone's heard of the time when he entered into Al-Aqsa and following that, that was a very provocative move because he wanted to open up further gates so that they could enter from there as well. And then there was like an uprising. Some people were martyred and killed and made shaheed inside Masjid al-Aqsa after this event as well. This is going back in 2000. What time did he enter? 7.30 a.m. 7.30 a.m. They take advantage of the time when Masjid al-Aqsa is empty of Muslims. This is why we need Muslims to travel and go there all throughout the year, like we go to Haramain and frequent it all, at all times, not just at the times of Salah. So you can see from here. So it's a huge area. So this, this is, these are the two gates that they've opened up. So if anybody goes there now, you'll see these are two gates that are open. They open them in Jummah. And if we go up these stairs, we'll be able to see the rest of them, inshallah. Looks like I'm stuck somewhere. That's better. Okay, here we are. So, can you see? Those are the two gates that are open. And then along the wall, there are further gates as well, which are closed. And of course, after, and the, imagine this whole area was the, this whole area was full of rubble. Uh, they had to dig all of this to find these gates. It, it had been 800 years and nobody had used this. Uh, and they opened up two of them and it's sufficient for the time being and it did cause a bit of an uproar but alhamdulillah uh, it still continues to be used. This is a beautiful olive tree. I told you there's 600 olive trees inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Okay, let's continue on the eastern side because the eastern side of Masjid Al-Aqsa is under the greatest threat. And this is something we don't normally talk about and you don't normally see this side of Masjid Al-Aqsa. The wall that you can see here, the outer wall, um, this is also the outer wall of the old city of Jerusalem. This was rebuilt by Sultan Suleiman Al-Qanuni, the Ottoman Sultan. Look, all of this is Masjid Al-Aqsa. I can pray over here and I'll still get the complete reward of praying in Masjid Al-Aqsa when Prophet Suleiman said, anybody who comes to this masjid and prays two rak'at salah, they will return just like the day they were born, totally sinless. You pray here, you will get that reward. You don't have to pray in any of the roofed structures. All of this is Masjid Al-Aqsa. Let's stop using the word sanctuary, compound, courtyard. Let's refer to the whole thing as Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now, what you can see in front of you, 
Now, let me just quickly tell you about these lanterns. Um, this is an ongoing project at the moment. Uh, I've been tasked with this responsibility. Unfortunately, I need your du'as. I've not been able to follow it through as of yet to create an English uh, version of this where uh, when you go to these lanterns and click on it, it will show you a description in English of each of the areas. Uh, unfortunately, I've not been able to sort of follow it through as of yet. I started the project off and it's just there. Please make du'as. I request you all to, uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants the ability and the time and the barakah to complete this so that it could be of benefit, inshallah, to anybody that wants to uh, sort of learn more about each of the monuments uh, whilst going through in this virtual tour. Okay, let's continue. So what you can see here now, can you see these two huge arches? This is Babur Rahmah. Remember we said there were two gates that were closed and sealed. This is probably one of the largest and the main original gates. This is Umayyad. It used to be gold. They had like gold all over it. This is Babur Rahmah. And at the top here, you've got this dome structure. It is said, Allah knows best, Imam al-Ghazali lived here, spent some time here and wrote part of his Ihya al-Uloom, his famous book, part of it here. Allah knows best, but this is what has been attributed to Imam al-Ghazali um, So this is Bab al-Rahmah. It's a huge uh, kind of a gate. So you've got the gate here and gates on the outer wall as well. And inside here, as you can see, there is a prayer area. Uh, which accommodates about 300 people. Now, it wasn't originally a, like a separate prayer area. What the Umayyads did, they had this huge gate called Babur Rahmah, and you enter in from there, and then you have like an open area, and then you enter further into the masjid. Um, I think this has been a prayer area from the Fatimid period, because one of the ways where we learn more about the history of these places is following the, uh, the Rahal, the travelers. And they, they write travelogues. And when they go there, so Nasir Khusru, the Persian traveler, when we look at his works and his writings, he talks about this place that when he visited Al-Aqsa, he found and he speaks about the Bab al-Rahmah and he says there was a beautiful prayer area. So that's going back about, you know, 900 years ago, uh, possibly from the Fatimid period, just before the Ayyubid period. So now the interesting story about this is this got converted into a prayer area from the Fatimid period. So for 900 years, it's remained as a musalla inside. We call this musalla babur rahmah. Since, uh, well, it's never been used as a musalla for a long time. It was used as offices during the British occupation as well. And then later on, and then they converted it to some offices for the awqaf and then other activities were taking place here. In 2003, this was closed off and sealed by the occupation. Muslims were not allowed to use this. For 16 years, it remained closed. And then in February 2019, we had the campaign of Babur Rahmah, where the Muslims forcefully opened it. And uh, some of the brothers and sisters who are probably present here, uh, were, we were there. You'll remember when we were there in February 2019, and it was like a day of Eid. Because imagine 16 years is a long time. There were so many Palestinians, like everybody we met, they had never been in there. So for them, it was amazing. The masjid you go to every day and there's like this beautiful prayer area and you've never seen it in your life. Um, it was a day of Eid and they were rejoicing and people are going in there in their hundreds. Since then, there's been a lot of difficulties in terms of them arresting people, Palestinians who go there, who read Quran there. This happens regularly because they want to turn this area into a synagogue. 
But Muslims continue praying there. If anybody goes, my advice is anybody that visits Masjid Al-Aqsa, whenever you go, or you know anybody that's going to go, my advice to you would be, try and spend as much time in this Musalla Babur Rahma as possible. I believe, I could be wrong, okay? This is not no kind of, you know, I'm not issuing a statement or a kind of a fatwa or a ruling. What I am saying is I believe that due to this area being the, under the greatest threat, I believe that the most rewardable kind of area in the whole of Masjid Al-Aqsa to pray in would be there. I'm talking about apart from the fara'id. If you were to go to a place where you want the most reward, you would pray there because that is the most under threat. The greatest threat is this to this area and they don't want you to pray there whatsoever. So try and frequent this area so it remains. Alhamdulillah, since February 2019, Muslims have continued going there. They've tried locking it, putting on gates so many times, but it's been broken and opened once again and it's remained open till now, which is a huge thing, Alhamdulillah. So please do try and go there and pray in that area if you can. Uh, so let's continue from here. Um, like I said to you, there are more than 200 monuments. You would need a very, very long time to cover even part of it. When we're there for a week, we're not able to cover, um, I'd say, even half of the monuments that are there. So it's impossible to cover it now in one and a half hours or whatever time we had. But inshallah, at least it gives us a little bit of an idea. We can increase our connection to Masjid Al-Aqsa. We're speaking about it regularly. It's good if you can see and perceive and get a little understanding of what we're speaking about. That minaret that you can see there, that is one of the four minarets of Masjid Al-Aqsa. That is the minaret of Babul Asbat. It's the only minaret that's round in its structure. The rest of them are square. That particular one is Mudawwar and it's round. So this is the northern side of Masjid Al-Aqsa. There are many structures um, on this end as well. And many trees as you can see and one of the reasons why Masjid Al-Aqsa is not a haram because we need to upkeep the trees if it was a haram then you're not allowed to cut the trees and etc it become like the Amazon forest become a jungle these are beautiful olive trees about 600 olive trees in Masjid Al-Aqsa this is why when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes qasam of Masjid Al-Aqsa in the Quran he says wattini was zaytun I take the qasam of the fig and I take the qasam of the olive. The zaytun and the olive means Masjid al-Aqsa. The scholars of the Quran have said it actually means Masjid al-Aqsa. Uh, let's continue on to the western wall for a little bit. How long have we got left? Ten minutes. Okay, let's see what we can cover in ten minutes, inshallah. Okay, um, I, I, I know what we can do. Okay, very quickly, I'm going to show you, uh, right, we don't have time to do that. So I'll just tell you as we're going along. Where the Dome of the Rock was, there were certain buildings and structures. We call them Khalawat. And they were in the Ottoman period, uh, certain dervishes, Sufis, pious people, they would go in there and they would engage in dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like we have the concept of a khanqa today. So there are many khalawat and khanqas in Masjid al-Aqsa. Most of them today are used as offices for the awqaf, for cleaning, uh, for like firefighters, for example, for them to have the holes and things if there's a fire that breaks out, for electrics, for example, sound system. You've got all of these uh, needs that we've got, which, you know, uh, as time goes by, things change. And then you've got a lot of these buildings, 
all these buildings used to be original schools, madrasas. You've got Madrasa Tankaziya, Madrasa Al Umariya, Madrasa Al Ashrafiya, Manjakiya. We don't have time to go into the details of each of these. But again, some of them, most of them are not madrasas anymore. Some of them are used, but a lot of them have been converted. Some are houses, some are used as offices. This particular one over here, we have Bab al Nadir. So this particular one is used by the Awqaf now. The Awqaf are the custodians of Al Aqsa and they use this as their office. It used to be the office of the Al Majlis Al A'la, the high office of Mufti of Al Quds, Al Hajj, Amin Al Husseini, etc. Now it's used by the Awqaf. Um, so this is the western wall. We find another madrasa there. Yeah, so I was telling you about some of these khalawat and these buildings by the Dome of the Rock. One of them is actually an Israeli police station. There is an Israeli police station inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Not one, there's two. So one is very close to the Dome of the Rock. Their police station inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Remember, Masjid Al-Aqsa is not a building. If people who keep saying it's that building, then we're losing a lot, a lot of the reality here. And people will think, okay, it's fine for them to have a police station. There's no problem. No, that is Masjid Al-Aqsa. And there is two Israeli police stations, one on the outside wall of Masjid Al-Aqsa and one is actually inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Um, this is the uh, Iron Gate. This structure that you can see over here, I'm having to miss a lot of things out because of time. This is the Sabil and the water fountain of Ashraf Qaitbai from the Mamluk period. We're going back 700 years. With the most beautifully designed Sabil in the whole of Masjid al-Aqsa, in the whole of Palestine. There are many Sabils and water systems. This is one of them. This is from the Mamluk period. Now, I just want to show you something. Everybody has seen online, you've all seen that house that when you look out from their window, you can see the Dome of the Rock. I think everybody's seen that video. And it connected everybody to Masjid al-Aqsa. When it snowed on one occasion, and then recently as well, they've got their table and they opened their window, and you can see the Dome of the Rock, and people see it's like the most beautiful view in the whole of the world. That's right here. Can you see? Can you see these two windows? This is the Fityani family. This is that view that you've seen so many times on videos and clips, on TikTok, and whatever you've seen it on. That is it. Now, if you were to look out from that window, this is what you can see. So if we go all the way across. There you go. That's where that window is. So a beautiful view. That's the Fityani family. So that particular room is actually inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Can you see? The, the boundary wall of Masjid Al-Aqsa is there at the back. So that particular room is they're very lucky to actually be inside Masjid Al-Aqsa. Like I said earlier, this is the Sabil, uh, it's called Sabil Naranj uh, because there's an orange blossom tree there. Uh, this is Sabil of Qasim Pasha, uh, water wuzu area named after him. And here we've got the chain gate. I just wanted to quickly show you something alongside this wall before we stop for Salatul Maghrib. And I think we may have passed it already. Yep, I think we've passed it. Let's try and go back. So as you can see, this is the western side. On the other side of this wall is what they refer to as the Wailing Wall. 
This is the Madrasa Ashrafiyya. In here, the girls, there's a girls' secondary school that runs in this particular building that you can see right here. It's a very beautiful building. And the boys' secondary school inside Al-Aqsa is on the northern wall of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Let me just take you back for a moment and see where we want to go. Here we are. Okay, inshallah, maybe we can end on this. This is... Behind this is a boundary wall of Masjid Al-Aqsa. Behind this is buried a huge personality. Now you might think, who could be that lucky person to be the first person to be buried uh, alongside the wall of Masjid Al-Aqsa? Who could that be? Who could it be? It must be some great person. Is it some Arab? Is it some Sheikh? In reality, this is an Indian scholar. You think, really? From India? Yes. Those who are Indian, but we're all from some, some way or shape or form, we have links to there. If you're not, at least you're, uh, our masajid here, we've, we've all got roots to India. So this is an Indian scholar, Maulana Muhammad Ali Jauhar. Maulana Muhammad Ali Jauhar, he was a journalist, a political individual as well, and he really fought uh, and the occupation of uh, uh, by the Britain of India at that time as well. And then he really sort of raised awareness regarding the occupation of Palestine by the British at that time in the early 1900s in India. So when nobody's talking about it in India, he was raising awareness about the occupation of Palestine by Britain. And he would raise this awareness because of his activism. The Mufti of Jerusalem, Al-Hajj Amin Al-Husseini, invited him to a round conference table where? In London in 1933 in London so he accepted the invitation this is in 1933 imagine how he traveled from the, so he traveled from India to London he came here and he gave a speech speaking up against the occupation the British occupation of Palestine at the time and how that Masjid al-Aqsa belongs to the Muslims he delivered his speech passionately and after his speech he passed away in London it was the 15th of Sha'ban. So not only is, the, is it Laylatul Bara'a, many historians mention 15th Sha'ban is when the Tahwilul Qibla happened, when Qibla changed from Masjid Al-Aqsa to the Kaaba. So that's again, you can see even in his death, there was a, a, a connection to Masjid Al-Aqsa. Now the people of Al-Quds that were there who invited him, they were really moved. 